0: Jethro? Yeah, Uncle Jed? Now, you're gonna be keeping company with a girl, is there any questions you like to ask me? Uncle Jed, I was walking past the cabin, and Big Mouse, she calls out the window to me. She says, hi Jethro, she says, my Ma's just made a big batch of cookies, come on in and have some. And I says, sure your Ma won't mind? And She says, Ma's gone, and so's Pa, I'm here all alone. Well, Uncle Jed, I was in that house before you could wink an eye. I can't say as I blame you. No sooner was I inside, the big mouth puts a music record on the phonograph machine and commences to sashaying around, a twisting and a turning. Dancing. Yeah, I reckon so.
1: Anyway, she says,
0: Put your arms around me, Jethro, and I'll teach you the two step. What do you say? I says, listen, Big Mouth, I says, here we are all alone. Your ma and your pa gone. And you think that I'm going to waste my time dancing? I says, not me, sister. Bring on them cookies. <laughs> <laughs> What'd she say? Well. Jess, you and Jethro can start digging the well. That city woman brought us some pumps. That's fine, Granny. We'll get right to it. <laughs> what that Bradshaw girl say when you said bring on them cookies. Well, she just held up them cookies like this here. Kind of blinked her eyes at me and said, Jethro, which do you think it tastes sweeter, these here cookies or my lips? (laughs) Well, Uncle Jed, right then and there is when I found out she was fast. (laughs) I grabbed them two cookies and it took me two miles to outrun that gal. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) <laughs> yes, <bro>. girl. <laughs> On one of these days, you and me's got to have a long talk. <laughs>
1: All right, how are we doing? We're going to have a talk. Uh, if you didn't tell by the video that was just on or kind of the fact that we're in a relationship series, perhaps you knew maybe this was coming, perhaps you braced yourself accordingly, uh, but today we are going to talk about sex. It's going to be fun. It's going to be open. It's going to be honest. It's going to be okay. I know some of you, I can tell, are trying to make a stealthy exit. It's Like, how do I look like I just need to go to the washroom? But you're really, you're really trying to get out of here. Don't. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And I should say before we really get into this, and and I know that we talked about this when we began the series, as as we talk about things like this that are sensitive and people have a variety of opinions on, as as we talk about some touchy topics, (laughs) unintended, um, (laughs) it is good to recognize that there is a wide variety of people that come from a wide variety of backgrounds that have all kinds of different thoughts and feelings on the things that we are talking about, Right. And so we want to do this in such a way that it is full of grace and kindness and hope to recognize that we're just doing the best we can to take God's word, to preach it the best that we know how, and you're allowed to take it and think on it and pray on it and even disagree with us, and you can still come and worship with us. Amen? All right. I feel like we should state that. Uh, And I should say this. My parents, uh, conveniently, not here this weekend, worked out quite well. I don't think they knew what the sermon was on uh, unless they had some inside intel Uh, but they took off for the weekend and uh, i'm not gonna lie i like that uh but i will i will say this will say this my parents never sat me down to have the talk and i don't say that to throw them under the bus in any way shape or form Uh, but it as it might shock some of you our family was quite private and quite quiet and so never never had that opportunity to have that conversation and so On my wedding day, I kid you not, my dad gets up at the wedding reception, gives his speech and says, Mark, you and I never had the talk, so when you and Liz get alone in a hotel room tonight, figure it out. (laughs) That is a true story. That is completely verbatim. So I've never had the talk. No idea what I'm talking about tonight. Had to do all kinds of research to figure it out. I'm just joking. (laughs) Just joking. We have 17 kids. We figured it out. And if you are uncomfortable because we're joking about sex, then buckle in because we're going to talk about a lot of things tonight and you might as well get loose and be okay with it. And some of you might be thinking, how dare we talk about sex in church? This is outrageous. This is awkward. I don't know what I'm going to do. Think, you know, like, why would you talk about sex in church? I think the better question is why don't we talk about sex in church more? I think we shy away from it sometimes. I think the church has been a little bit afraid to talk about sex. We treat it as something that's private. We treat it as something that's a little hush-hush, maybe taboo, we don't want to go there, right? Which is a little weird when we also believe and understand that God designed it and created it and gave it to us and said that it's good, right? So if we're going to be a church that reads the Bible and loves the Bible and preaches the Bible and we're not going to talk about sex, well, something's wrong with that because the Bible is full of all kinds of things about sex. And so a church that preaches the Bible in its entirety is a church that needs to talk about sex. Okay? Uh, what happens when the church does not speak about sex is that things have a tendency to get a little bit ugly. When we don't talk about the important things, When we just, it, it, whether it's in church or even in your family or whatever, if you don't talk about things, it's going to get ugly right? People are going to be left confused. There's going to be ignorant thinking. There's going to be dysfunction. And if we don't talk about church, there's going to be all kinds of things that could go wrong, whether it's with infidelity or addictions or whatever the case might be, because no one has stood up and said, this is a topic that probably needs some clarity and some grace and some understanding. So let's have a conversation about it so that we can all kind of get onto the same page. Uh, We live in a highly kind of hyper-sexualized culture, That is not a shock to any of you. Uh, And if the church isn't saying much about it, then the world definitely is. And so who should be talking about it? Do you want this generation? Do you want the next generation to learn all about sex from the world? Or do we want them to learn it from church, from the Word of God, from what Jesus says about it? Right? He invented it. He should probably know best. The world only distorts it, so we should probably speak into it somewhat here. Our culture has normalized so many things about sex. Our culture considers abstinence a joke. That sex before marriage isn't just, it's just normal. It's just, why would you not do that? It's completely fine. You know, if you're someone in the world that has not had sex with a bunch of people, or casual sex, or a one-night stand, or whatever the case might be, I like, that's weird. Why would you not do that? And I've heard people justify it and say things like, well, well you wouldn't buy a car without taking it for a test drive. Why would you marry someone that you haven't slept with, right? All these, just, you know, that sounds dangerous. No, casual sex sounds dangerous, actually. We'll talk about that in a bit. It's weird for the world to think that, that, that you know, if you talk about while well, I'm saving myself for marriage or if you talk about here's some of my viewpoints on sex, you'll be called a prude, uptight, right? Like, who's, man, weirdo over here. No, it's different. It's different for us. It should be. And our, our culture is not afraid to say all kinds of things about it. We were in line at Walmart, this is maybe a month ago, and I remember seeing Cosmo magazine front and center. Half-naked woman on the front had something on there about oral sex and something else about orgasms. And my nine-year-old is right there, eye level. I was like, oh, goodness. How do I cover this with, like, the National Geographic? How do I, right? Some of you are still shocked that I said those words in church. Hold on, because we got a ways to go. We need to reclaim sexuality as something that is biblical and healthy and God-ordained and good. Okay? And you know what's terrifying to me? Not necessarily the the state of the world right now where global warming or war or North Korea. You know what terrifies me? Raising three daughters in this culture. That gets me on my knees a lot. And so if you're wondering why in the world we would talk about sex... It is so important. Because if we don't, someone else will. There is a darker side to this than something that's just this fun physical act. And there's a world that has been scarred by rape and abuse and assault and pain. All of it stems from a completely broken, incorrect, unholy view of sex. So we need to talk about it. But from a biblical standpoint, so we can understand why God created it, how it's best supposed to be within the confines that he has given it. So it's going to be good. We're just going to go to the Bible, okay? We're not, this is not tips, tricks, and how-tos, okay? This is... <laughs> it's good. My wife's in the nursery tonight. I won't say that tomorrow. First thing we need to know about sex is that it is a gift from God. Okay, sex is from God. That is its origin. He, he made it. He is a fantastic designer, did a wonderful job on this particular project. And I think we should combat the idea that sex and God should not be mentioned in the same sentence. Don't talk about it in church. It's a little weird that you would go there. Uh, no, no. Do you know that it's practically on like page one of the Bible? That's one of the first things we read when we open up the Bible, Genesis 2.22 says then the lord god made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man at last the man exclaimed this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh she will be called woman because she was taken from man This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And now the man and his wife are both naked, but they felt no shame. So this kind of all the way back to creation is is where we get this. And I know Jamie talked about this a few weeks ago, and so we don't need to kind of stay here long. But God creates man, and he's lonely, and God's like, well, I'll make you a bunch of animals to be friends with. And realizes, you know, it's not that God made a mistake, but then he's like, we'll make you someone else. And so the perfect companion for man is the woman. And immediately he says, so this man and his wife will be united as one. He is not just talking metaphorically here. They are literally going to join together as one. And the Bible, as if to drive the point home, says, listen, they were naked and it was great. Welcome to paradise. God's design. This is on the first few pages of the Bible. This is not tucked away in two verses in a minor prophet on a scroll we discovered 58 years ago. This is like front and center, page one. If you are writing the book to explain to humanity God's plan for all of salvation and how much he loves us, are you putting sex on page two? God did. It's pretty important. There's something to this that that is important that we talk about. So he created us, created people, created anatomy, gave us our desires, gave us a sexual capacity. The church does not need to be prudes. Christians should have fantastic sex. Amen. Some people don't know whether to amen or not. (laughs) Now, this all kind of begs the question, why? You ever wondered that? Well, so why did he create sex? Right? Like, well, it's kind of a crazy thing. And so, we're going to talk about that. One of the first reasons, one of the most practical reasons, was to make babies. God had a planet with two people. He needed more people or this whole creation thing was not going to go very far. And so, this is a way we're, we're going to make babies. Genesis 1.27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry around on the ground. Be fruitful and multiply. The first commandment in the Bible is to have sex. People say, the Bible is so boring. Why would you read the Bible? Have you made it past page four? It is pretty good. It says, be fruitful and multiply. Now, that is just one of the reasons. Just one. There's a variety of reasons. So don't believe someone when they say God made sex only for procreation. It should not even be fun. Stop having fun. It's just to make babies, right? And then there's this weird idea out there that Christians are like under obligation to have sex. But when you do it, just don't have fun. It's just to have a child, get it out of the way, utilize the one Christian position. That's why it's the missionary position, right? And when safe and Christian, and so this is what we're going to do. When you have enough kids, you're done. Oh, you got three kids you've done three times. That's great. Good for you. I told you we were going all kinds of places tonight. Maybe if it's a leap year, you can get... No, listen. God created us to have sex. He gave us the desire. He made it enjoyable. Gave us the proper boundaries to make sure that we understood that it is going to be best in the way that he invented it. So procreation, absolutely, but also pleasure. It's the second reason he invented sex. Pleasure. See, now, if the whole point of sex was only for procreation, why in the world did he make it feel so good? Right? He, he could have done that in so many different ways. There are all kinds of ways for the animal kingdom to have children, right? None of them particularly look like they're fun. Like, if you ever watch nature documentaries on TV, there's all kinds of crazy things that happen. Um, uh, this was actually just recent. Uh, the Komodo dragon found out the Komodo dragon is an asexual creature, meaning it doesn't even need anyone. It doesn't need a partner to make babies. You know how they discovered this? There was a zoo, this is 10 years ago. This is like recent science. There was a zoo that had a female Komodo dragon, born and raised there, had never seen a male Komodo dragon in its life. One day it laid eggs. They're like, hmm, well that's neat and found out. This is, you know, who needs men? She's an independent dragon, right? Like, she's, she's just going to have babies. God could have done that for us. It could have just been, like, this completely asexual process. You get an email one day. Listen, you're going to lay eggs. It's going to be great. You didn't need anyone to, to do that. It wasn't, didn't necessarily have to be fun. Didn't need to require two people. It didn't need to have any kind of pleasure. He could have come up with his own boring way for it to happen, but he did not. He could have gone the stork route, and he did not. One of the reasons is because he wanted to gift us sex because it was a good, pleasurable act. Um, this is entirely biblical. Have you read Song of Songs? Are you aware that there is a Bible book called Song of Songs that is rated R? Some of you would not have given your children access to the Old Testament had you known that in advance. Uh, it's scandalous! Song of Songs! Uh, so we're going to read it, obviously. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 2, it starts off innocently enough, right? It says, kiss me and kiss me again for your love is sweeter than wine. We're like, oh, I heard that song on Capital FM yesterday, right? Like, it's great. Typical stuff. But then the book goes on. And this book is a back and forth between a young man and a young lady. And they see each other fall in love and get married and then get a hotel room and figure it out. And so, we move on to chapter 5, where the girl sees the boy on that night, and says, here we go. I'm going to take a little drink here. Yes. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 10 says, My lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. His head is finest gold. His wavy hair is as black as a raven. You should be writing some of these down, ladies. His eyes sparkle like dove doves beside springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. His cheeks are like gardens of spices, giving off fragrances. His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh, like this one. His arms are rounded like bars of gold, (laughs) set in barrel. His body is like bright ivory. I mean, that one actually is a little bit true. Glowing with lapis lazuli, his legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold. His posture is stately, like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Such a woman of Jerusalem is my lover, my friend. Right? You get the point here. She's a fan. She likes what he sees. She's checking him out top to bottom. And I want you to remember here, this is purely a physical description. At no point does she go into, well, he's just got a gentle spirit. I really enjoy his sense of humor. Right? Like, all those things are code. Like, when you're growing up, you learn that that's what people say about you when they don't like how you look. What do you guys think of this Mark Brewer guy? Well, he's got a nice sense of humor. Right? It's like, I know what that means. I don't have stately cedar back or whatever it is, but, right? She's not going there. She's not talking about emotions. She's not talking about his his sense of humor. She's like, no, his leg sockets are fine as gold. This guy is quite nice. It's desirable, physical attraction, and it's good. Then it's the guy's turn. And he says, chapter 7, verse 1, just in case you guys want to highlight some of these, you know, 7, verse 1. How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O queenly maiden. Your rounded thighs are like jewels. Not sure I'd write that one down. The work of a skilled craftsman, your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with mixed wine. Between your thighs lies a mound of wheat bordered with lily. This is so much harder than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. I should have practiced this. Totally didn't. Good grief. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the sparkling pools and and, like these name places, feel free to replace those with local Fredericton landmarks, right? (laughs) The sparkling wading pools of Wilmot Park by the gate of, I don't know. Your nose is as fine as the tower of Lebanon overlooking Damascus. Your head is as majestic as Mount Carmel and the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. The king is held captive by its tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love, how full of delights. And you think, if he ends there, what a nice guy. No, you are slender like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb this palm tree and take (laughs) hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters, and the fragments of your breath like. A I think we're good here. We done. We good. You get the point. Pleasure and attraction and desire and sex are from God. The Bible is not shy about it. There is a whole book dedicated to it. It would not be in there had He not wanted us to know. I made it, and it's great within the confines that I have given it. He took it seriously. This matters to him. It should matter to his church. It should matter to his people. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, they actually kind of held the honeymoon phase in such high regard that they gave everyone a year. Look you know at this Deuteronomy 24:5. A newly married man must not be drafted into the army or be given any other official responsibilities. He must be free to spend one year at home bringing happiness to the wife he has married. A year! Let's find a time machine. Like, they knew what they were doing. That's great. My wife and I had enough time and money to drive to PEI for two days in the off-season. Woo! <laughs> Don't worry, though. We've made it up. We have since gone to Manan Island in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. So I'm just saying, God is pro-sex, even if it's for pleasure. Okay, so procreation and pleasure, two of the reasons. The third reason, though, incredibly important reason, is that he gave this to married couples for relational intimacy, There is a relational aspect to this that is so unbelievably important. It is vital for your marriage. Husbands and wives, I'll say that again. Sex is vital for your marriage. Because there might be people who think, well, sex, I guess, is kind of nice in marriage. No, it's necessary. It is necessary. Because there is so much going on beyond procreation, beyond pleasure. This act was designed by God to fuse two people into one not just literally, but relationally and emotionally. There is something spiritual and in-depth that happens when this act is performed that brings two people together. Like It's a miracle of God. Only he could do that. In Genesis, the word that talks about two people coming together as one is ikad. It's a Hebrew word, which means fused together at the deepest levels. You are fused together at the deepest levels with the person that you are doing this with. If if you read older translations of the Bible, if you still read King James, their kind of euphemism for sex, I used to think it was a euphemism for sex, was that they would know one another. Adam knew Eve and she got pregnant. Right? And I used to think, you're just trying to cover it up. But what they were actually trying to translate was that the act of sex was, was not just a physical thing, but it also was an emotional and spiritual thing. And the word know was kind of the deepest way of saying, like you knew them on a level that you wouldn't know anyone else. There was something happened there where, where there's this, this knowledge of one another where you're fused together at the deepest levels. You knew them. It is a deep intimate act. It is irreversible, cannot be undone. You can't take it back. And so God knew that the marriage relationship was the only relationship strong enough to handle something as powerful as sex. Something with that level of importance and depth is not a thing to be taken lightly, not a thing to be done casually with just anyone. And Paul told us this in 1 Corinthians 7. Told you guys to bookmark that last week flip there now. Um, and, and, but, he, but he says, here's what you need to know about Corinth, is that this place was the hub of completely wild, immoral behavior. It was the Vegas of the ancient world. Like what happens in Corinth would stay in Corinth. Uh, it, it was legitimately kind of sex crazed to the degree that a Corinthian was their slang for a prostitute. Oh, she's a Corinthian girl. People knew what that meant. That was the context that Paul is writing this church in. And and he planted a church there, and this world collided of God's plan for sex and what they had been brought up in sex to the point where he actually had to write them a letter and say, all right, we got to talk about this. And so here's where he starts uh, in verse 1. He says, Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. So he's trying to say, I know what you guys have been doing, and it's outside of the bounds of what this is. So reminder, here's where it should be happening. And he says in verse 3, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Notice there's complete equality in in kind of the give and take here. This is both parties doing this. And verse 5, he says, Do not deprive each other of sexual relations, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer, but afterwards you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So he's writing to this church, and he's saying that that here are some guardrails for sexual behavior because you have not seen this in the community that you live in. He said this is a man and a woman in a marriage relationship fulfilling one another, open to one another. It's vulnerable. There's honesty. There's a level of trust there that you just don't have with anyone else. And he says don't even deprive one another from that unless it's for a very specific reason. And even after that, you you guys should kind of like... Come together here pretty quick, and so I don't want to come on too strong here, but husbands and wives, the Bible commands sex. It's right there in 1 Corinthians 7. Put it on your fridge, terrify your kids. (laughs) Sex within the confines of marriage ensures that your relationship will be healthy and strong. That's what it's doing. Uh, It spouses, giving authority over to each other, and and there's just incredible trust and vulnerability. It builds something in your relationship that if it was missing, something would be missing in your relationship. It's that vital to it. Um, In my history of being a pastor and hearing so many people's stories and seeing so many kind of relationships that have gone awry, if something is usually broken with sex in a marriage, something's broken in the marriage almost 100% of the time. And if something is broken in the marriage, the first thing to kind of be used as leverage usually ends up being sex. And the Bible says, don't do that. It's dangerous. It will be damaging to your relationship. It's so tied in with the marriage relationship. And so, not to get too blunt here, but there's going to be times in your life, married couples, when someone is on board for the evening and you are not, And there are some things relationally where you understand one another, value one another, honor one another. There's vulnerability and trust. And sometimes you go, okay, that's fine. But there are other times when you have to go, might not be my preference tonight, but because I am with this person, love them, vulnerable, there's authority, vulnerability and trust. I will do this knowing that it is actually what's best for our marriage and our relationship and what is good for us. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. If you are always met as the spouse with no, not tonight, no thanks, no, 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 i got a headache, no, i will got some things going on tomorrow, over and over and over and over again, that is not just going to be frustrating to your spouse. There's probably some red flags for the whole relationship there. The Bible says you can't deprive one another because there's something so valuable and intimate that will bring you together that if you start to kind of drift away literally, it's probably tied into being drifted away figuratively and vice versa. You understand what I mean? And so you need to have a very open conversation with your spouse about sex. Communicate about it. Be honest about it. Be open about it. Um, we always talk about having that sex talk before marriage. You should have the sex talk in marriage. You guys should be open about that and, and make sure, as, are things good? Are you okay? Are we okay? It's vital. I heard a great line from someone recently that said, men need sex in order to feel loved and women need to feel loved in order to have sex. And, and the idea being there, we're so different, and, 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 and th- there's got to be a relationship, there's got to be communication, where if this thing's going to work and, and be what it needs to be, and we're not talking about it, and we're not honest about it, th- 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 we've got to figure this out and make it right, because it's so important. Verse 5, Paul says, that even a long enough break in sexual activity will lead you into temptation. There, there's a spiritual component where if you're continually kind of having good, healthy sex with your spouse, you're keeping temptation at bay because you are satisfied, not just physically, but relationally. And it's when something kind of goes wrong with, with the sex, maybe, that someone starts to think, well, I bet... You know, I bet I'd be happier over there. I bet I'd be more fulfilled with someone else. I bet it. And you start to kind of look. And Paul says, no, no, no. Look, you got to do this to maintain what is health and intimacy. It's good for your spiritual life to have sex. Go home tonight and improve your spiritual life. Shut your door. And if your kids ask what you're doing, say, your devotions. That's what you're doing. <laughs> it's not lying. Can't use that one now unless my kids aren't in here. Um, All those reasons are also reasons why it's so heartbreaking to see sex treated so callously and casually in society. Because it is so important and in-depth and vital and intimate that when you see it treated as anything else, it's, it's, it's wrong. You can't just hook up with someone and think, well, that was fun. And it it was more than fun. Something happened where you were connected with that person whether you wanted to be or not, whether you understood that you were or not, but you were just fused together with someone at the deepest level. You cannot just do that casually. You cannot just do that with, with a stranger you just met with someone you don't know, with someone you're not planning to spend the rest of your life with, certainly not without the relationship that it was intended to be in. Just as healthy as sex can be within the marriage, it is equally as damaging when it's outside the marriage. For all of those reasons, it is not a casual act. It is an incredibly spiritual act. And for all the good it will bring you in marriage, it will bring you damage outside of marriage, which is why God has these guidelines in place. It's not that he is against fun or joy. It's that he is for your best fun and your best joy, and he understands that that is where it is going to happen. It will never be greater or more life-giving than it's with the way that I wanted it to be. Sex is so much more than a physical act. So much more, and that is what our world has distilled it down into. Just a fun thing to do, right? But you, you cannot detach relationship from sex. You cannot detach this fusing together of people and, and, and just say, no, it's just sex. It's not just sex. And you are doing something relationally with all of these people that's only going to end up damaging you. You can't separate your sexuality and your spirituality. You, you can't. Paul says actually in chapter 6, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians, he says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? I mean, you you could put anyone in there. You you could put, you know, person you just met, (laughs) friend with benefits, whatever that is. Should you take your body and join it to them? Never. He says, don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He's basically saying you're joining the stranger into a relationship with me. That's not the way it was supposed to go. So he says in verse 18, Run from sexual sin. He does not come on this strong about much sin in the Old Testament, than he, in the New Testament than he does right here. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't even belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price, so you must Honor God with your body. Your bodies aren't just physical. Sex is not just physical. There's something so much more happening here. If Paul could use all caps, if he knew what all caps was back then, this is him using it right now. He says, don't you know? Don't you know what happens when you have sex with someone? Don't, don't you know the level of, of the, the spiritual world and, and the depth and the fusing? Like you, He said, you've got to consider this. It's like giving a loaded weapon to a kid and saying, oh, well, it's just a bullet. It's just this big. Well, it can do incredible damage. Oh, well, it's just sex. It's just a physical act. It can do incredible damage. When not utilized the way that God says we should. And this is a lie that our culture has been telling us for years. Our culture holds up sex and says it is the ultimate thing. That sex is ultimate that if you have somehow not yet experienced it, you haven't experienced life. You haven't experienced the, the completeness of life or the fullness of life. You're missing something. You're lacking something. We have held it high, and our culture worships it. It worships it as a thing that is owed to us, it worships it as a thing that is it, not a privilege, it's a right. This is my body, and I will do what I want with it. And you can't put boundaries on my body, and I will be free to do what I want. Paul's going, you don't own your body. It was given to you as a gift, bought for you by Christ, and you better honor him with it. Don't believe the lies that you are owed anything. Don't believe the lies. We talked about this with singleness last week. Like, sex will not complete you. Sex will not fulfill you the way that that you need to be entirely fulfilled. Only Jesus Christ can fulfill you. It is Jesus Christ who completes you and makes you whole. You know what that means? That you can be complete and satisfied without ever having had sex. Jesus said, I came to give the abundant life, the more and better life. That's what he's giving to us. He did not give like a little kind of quantifier over here that says, I mean, unless you don't have sex, then I mean, whoo, you are missing out. It's not what he's saying. He said, no, no, you can have the abundant life without ever having had sex. Guess what? Jesus did. He did experience a life without sex. It's, It's not just hearing it from a guy who's kind of like, well, I mean, I know I didn't have to do that, but no, 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 this was his life, Bible says, was tempted in every way and yet was still without sin. So if you're here and you are single, your expectation is that you won't have sex until you are married. Biblically, if you are here and you aren't married and you're with someone, the expectation should be that, no, this is not the way God designed it. It's supposed to be in the marriage relationship. We are living in a sexually pluralistic society that says, do whatever you want, anything goes, it's okay, don't put boundaries on me. I want to do what I want to be able to do. The world thinks that's freedom. What they don't understand is that will lead to slavery. And they will be a slave to all of the damage that they leave in their trail and all of the pain that it is going to cause them. And, and people would think that is wildly unfair, I'm single. I want to have sex. I've not been, you know, I've been trying to obey God, and it's just I'm I'm real getting real tired of this. It's completely unfair. Why would God give me desires that I cannot fulfill? And the truth here is that you will have desires your entire life that you have no business fulfilling. You will have desires your whole life that you are not allowed to run after. Sometimes it's as simple as taking care of your body. The Bible says don't, you know, your body is a temple. Take care of it. Don't fall to gluttony. And you will have to look at really good foods that you want to eat and say, "I, I can't right now. When it comes to your finances, you're going to get money, you're going to get your paycheck, and you're going to see all these fun things you'd rather spend your money on. People in the church are thinking, oh, I'd way rather spend money on this than tithe. I'd rather do this than whatever it is, right? And you will have the desire to spend your money in, in a certain way. But the Bible says if you want to be absolutely free and live in obedience, then this is how you need to do that. You're going to be married someday, and, and maybe you're going to be unsatisfied or tired or exhausted, and you're going to look across the way, and you're going to see someone else and think, I bet that would be fun, and you're going to have the desire to go and, 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 and do whatever it is that you're going to do over there, and you'll have that desire that you have no business running after. For the rest of your life, you will have to say no to things that seem like they would be good and fun, and God is so unfair. He is absolutely not. He is protecting you from yourself. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, meaning that the power of God himself is inside of you to give you the strength to say no to things that you want to do. What is sin other than a desire you have that you are not allowed to chase? Don't believe the lie that God is crazy unfair because I can't do things I want to do. Your body was bought with a price. And he says, I want you to honor me and walk with me in obedience and find that there is still blessing and satisfaction and completeness. Amen? Sex will never live up to the hype that the world has put on it as long as you think it's the thing that will complete you. And there will be people that say, well, what if I get married to someone that I've never had sex with and the sex is bad? I'm going to be stuck with them for the rest of my life. Those are actual conversations I have had with actual people. And, and the bottom line is that, listen, you, you get married and you work it out. Practice makes perfect. Make the sex good. Good grief, bad sex is still sex. <laughs> right. The bottom line here is that we have seen plenty of seeds that have been sowed by a culture with a distorted, broken view of sex. We have seen what happens when it's done outside the boundaries that God has given us, we have seen the damage, the hurt, and the pain. We have seen the the rape and abuse and the, the capacity it has to completely destroy someone from the inside out. If sex is purely physical, just a random physical act, then you should just be able to endure whatever someone has done to you and shake it off. But you can't. And when you have been wronged by someone sexually, it damages your soul. And there are people in this room perhaps that have walked this road and you know the pain and the hurt. Sex is not just physical. It is deeply emotional and spiritual. It is in the very core of your being. And I am confused by a world that says, I want sex in all of these ways. But when they see the brokenness of it, they don't, they don't put it together. They don't understand the pain and the hurt that it's causing them. It's hard. It's heavy. It's heavy. We can't treat this lightly and casually. We need to preach the truth and show people the truth and talk about the truth that sex is so much more than what our culture says it is. So I want to close today, and uh, we were a little longer than usual, and that's okay. Um, I even left out like 20 more jokes. But I want to close with some, some application. And, and here it is for a few groups of people. Uh, there might be people here tonight that have regrets because they have committed some sexual sins in their past and they are haunted by them. They feel condemned by them. And I want you to know that today in Jesus Christ, you can find freedom from your past. That those sins are on the cross. They have been crucified with Christ. They are dead and buried and you can walk in freedom today. You are not your past. You are not your past mistakes. And God can bring so much good out of the mistakes that you have made and use them for his glory and his honor. And I believe that there are people that will be here this weekend that need to know there is a fresh start for them. Absolutely. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you can walk away from your past and he can make you new. I also want to pray for a group of people that maybe you're here today and and sexual brokenness was not something that you committed, but something that was done to you. And this this is hard. And I want to pray so much peace over you and healing and grace and mercy and kindness. I want to pray that you would be able to find freedom from that. Pray that you would be able to find that there is still hope that God still loves you and has a plan for you, that there is redemption in all of this. Maybe today that's you and I know that this might seem absolutely impossible but that you would have the supernatural ability from God to forgive the person that has wronged you. And I know that seems so hard but the Bible says with God all things are possible. And what happens when we don't forgive is that there's this deep root of bitterness and resentment that grows in our hearts that's just going to continue to damage. You've already been hurt once. Don't let it keep happening to you. There is freedom in Christ. And I know for a lot of people that is a process. And there is going to be lots of conversations and counseling and help along the way. We just want to pray so much for your peace and your hope and your joy today. So let the church know that we're here for you. And we want wholeness, right? We also want to pray uh, for a group of people that are maybe walking a road of frustration, feeling like this is never going to be my story. I'm never going to get to experience this. I've been blaming God and I'm lonely and whatever the case might be, we're going to pray that you would find complete and utter satisfaction in the abundant life that Jesus has given you without having to hold up sex as this thing that needs to be a part of your story, at least right now. There's, there's a life without it until Jesus says, here you go, or whatever the case might be for you. I want to pray for strength for those people today and, and hope and peace. Finally, I want to pray for married couples. The application for you guys is simple. You should go home, probably have some more sex. It's good for you. It's good for your relationship. It's good for your spiritual life. It's good for your marriage. Go home and talk about it. Be honest about it. Be open about it. Don't be afraid to talk about it. I know some of you are thinking, we are so busy. There are so many kids. There's so many things going on. Take Monday off. Do what you got to do. This is important. Sex is from God for his people for joy, for peace, for deep relationship. It is an incredible gift that we need to steward well and use in a way that honors him. Amen. Amen. There is no closing song this weekend because we thought, how do you close that sermon with a worship song? You don't. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to be good to go. Jesus, you are so good and kind and we are grateful for this gift. But God, there's so many people in this room that are on so many different sides of the equation here. And God, I pray for those that are today wrestling with the past that they are not proud of. And I pray that today they would be able to come to you and say, Jesus, forgive me for the sins that I've done and I know and confess that it was not your plan and I know that those sins are on the cross and I know that there's freedom in Christ and so I just pray that these people would walk out of here new and fresh and clean and living kind of that abundant life that they don't have to believe the lies of the enemy that, that you are what you did you are what your worst sin was you are what haunts you it's not true and we pray against the enemy in those people's lives right now and pray for your victory and your freedom God I also pray for those that sex has been a very difficult subject for them and there is pain and we just pray so much freedom in their lives and their souls and their spirits right now. We pray an abundance of peace and grace of joy and of hope that, that there would be the, the knowledge that you are with them and for them that you are watching over them and carrying them through, and that nothing is impossible. So, give them the power they need to believe what they need, to do what they need to do, to forgive someone, to, to take the next step, whatever this thing, to start the journey. God, I just pray that you would give them power and strength and hope and healing. So much, Jesus, I pray that for them. God, I pray for those who are wrestling with this, and, and maybe it's singleness. Loneliness, maybe it's someone who's struggling with, with some kind of other immorality, maybe it's pornography, maybe whatever it is, whatever sexual brokenness is, God, I just pray that you would give them strength to overcome temptation. I pray that you would give them freedom from that, that they would know that they're more than a conqueror. I pray that they would know that they can live a fulfilled life with your strength and your power and your spirit. pray for wholeness, Jesus. And finally, I pray for the married couples that are here. And God, I just pray so much for their health, for their relationships, that there would be strengthening of the relationship this week, that there would be conversations, that there would be beneficial work that's being done, God, with openness and vulnerability, that maybe there would be good progress made, Jesus, with some conversations that need to happen I just pray your blessing over our married families. I pray that you would give them peace and provision, that you would give them joy, that you would reignite a passion that maybe seems like it's been missing. Draw people closer together, Jesus, for your kingdom and your glory. God, we thank you and we praise you that we're able to be here today. I pray that your word has been declared. I pray that the truth would prevail and that you would continue to speak together through your spirit as we leave. You're good, and we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Well, God bless you guys. I do hope it's been good to be in church, and it's been a blessing. And so go home and watch hockey or something.